Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's great conversation is with RWR McDonald. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. My name's Andrew Popel. Every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Final Draft is dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. Every week we look into the issues that drive our storytelling and help you discover more from the books that you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. Now, 2SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gundungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands, pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands. This is stolen land. Treaty has never been made in Australia. R.W.R. MacDonald is the author of The Nancys. It won the Nio Marsh Award for a debut novel, as well as garnering a slew of nominations in other awards. Now, The Nancys are back, and today Rob is joining us to talk Nancy business. Nancy business returns us to Riverstone. Tippy's been getting on with life after solving the murder of her teacher. Pike and Devon have bought the murder house and are trying to decorate it without murdering each other. So far, so normal when the town is rocked by an explosion at the town hall. Three people are killed and it looks like the bomber might be a local. The bombing has happened on the anniversary of Tippy's father's death and this brings back so much for her. Tippy's now constantly in fear of more violence and losing more people close to her. So the only thing to do is reform the Nancys and solve the mystery of the lone bomber. Join me as we discover RWR McDonald's Nancy business. I'm joined on the line by RWR McDonald, author of The Nancy's and Nancy Business. Welcome, Rob. Thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you very much, Andrew. And um, our interview in 2019, that was my first ever uh, interview um, with The Nancy. So it's great to be back. Oh, and so many roads have been walked down since. You've, um, I mean, The Nancy's just met terrific acclaim, uh, winning the Nio Marsh First Novel Award. It was shortlisted for so many others. Like, people love Tippy, Pike and Devon. As I said, they won the Nio Marsh Best First Novel Award, which is a very prestigious uh, New Zealand crime fiction award. Heart, humour, sassy, dynamic. These are just some of the ways the Nancys have been described. I feel like they're a kind of tonic and that no matter what the chaos, they're going to cut through the BS to what, though, do you attribute this love for your characters? Um, yeah, look, the, the take-up has been really phenomenal and lovely, and the, the readers um, really have taken the characters um, on board, which, which is great. And um, the response I've been getting with Nancy Business, um, obviously, you know, I knew that there were readers who were really invested in the Nancys, and uh, when I was writing Nancy Business, I had to kind of put that aside and write the story that I, I felt I needed to write. Um, and rather than just doing a, well, it worked the first time, let's, let's try that formula again. Um, so I don't know. I think because they are unlikely heroes, they're, they're a combination of people we don't normally get to see hang out. And that's, you know, to, to gay men and, um, a girl, um, and I think it's. It, I think people are wanting more and more to see, to see diverse characters, to see you know, other than the sort of you know white straight alpha male 
hero type, um, you know, solving all the problems. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I think because they're not perfect, because <laughs> they're like a lot of the readers who aren't in um, the, you know, who aren't police people or um, uh, lawyers or, you know, they're, they're just bumbling around trying to find answers, um, just using whatever resources they can. So I think that, that might appeal as well. It's so interesting too, and I mean, and it's not that it's not that crime fiction does not have arcs or character development for their protagonists. But if we think to your mm. your inspiration, Nancy Drew, I mean, apart from the occasional chaste kiss with Ned, or you know, Ned getting himself into always Ned getting himself into some sort of drama, <laughs> like Nancy didn't exactly yeah. progress. Whereas you, especially in Nancy business, you're really challenging your characters. And putting, um, if not their their physical, their emotional worlds in turmoil. Yeah, yes, and so so back in two thousand and six, when I first came up with the idea of the Nancys, and I, I discovered Tippy, and then Uncle Pike and Devon, um, I saw that there was a larger story at play, which is Tippy's story, um, really, uh, and so that story arc. I uh, saw as a trilogy, um, and then even with writing Nancy Business, I, you know, challenged myself around that, and you know, can I uh, do this larger story in, you know, a duology? Can can I do it in two books? And it was clear that I couldn't. So then, you know, there's a, that sort of convention around trilogies and what a book two needs to do, um, which. You know, it, it fitted really well with that larger story arc, which I don't really want to, I guess, you know, in terms of spoilers, do talk too much about. But it was important for me to um, make sure that the characters grow, that they are challenged. So, you know, they need to do, so they're, they're ready to do what they need to do um, in book three. That being said, uh, Nancy Business can be read as a, a standalone. Um, however, I also wanted to be able to give readers of the Nancys uh, a richer experience, a richer reading experience. So, yeah, it was, it was trying to balance that as well um, because, you know, those those people who have read the Nancys, I didn't want them to feel like, I discounted that or, you know, I was just doing a standalone. Um, it was important that, you know, there were those little Easter eggs or those, you know, references that they would get if they read that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hope we get into this more a little bit later, but it, it sounds like you're, you're saying this is your Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no pressure. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And, and obviously as a writer, like, um, personally, I want to try and each time write, you know, make it better, uh, you know, um, try harder. But for this, yes, there was a lot of moving parts, that's for sure. One thing that always gets me is just you write terrific dialogue and specifically you write incredible banter. And in, uh, the banter is is broad, but particularly the to and fro between Pike and Devon. How do you find the right tone for the the wide variety of characters in Riverstone? Yeah, um, look, I think um, 
I feel, you know, like I just let them loose on the page and they they, they do their thing and I just follow, like try to keep up. I think um, because I had had the characters in my head for 10 years before I wrote the, the first draft of the Nancy uh, back in 2016, I think that helps. So when I do have them in a situation or put them in a scene, they just, you know, they take off, um, like I say. Uh, and I guess because I know them so well, um, yeah, to the point where, you know, I would hope that you could kind of uh, cover up the dialogue tags and know who who's saying what. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, each character has a, a different relationship with the other characters. Mm. So even the, the trio as a group has a different – so if we talk about, say, Lorraine, the journalist, you know, the way she responds to the Nazis as a group is different than the way she responds to Devon or she responds to Uncle Pike or to the uh, – and just having – playing with that is just a writer's dream, really. How does that work then for you? You said they've they've been there for ten years for you before the first draft even came down. Do they do they live in your your world? Are they are you in a cafe and something happens and you see Pike reacting or Devon reacting or you you think you know this would be this, this, we need we need Devon in the middle of this or something? <laughs> yeah, look, um, uh, so with that. So now, like someone asked last night, um, you know, do you hate green um, as much as Devon does? And I was like, well, no, no, I don't think anyone hates the colour green as much as Devon. But it is funny. If I do see something green or like I, I bought a, a khaki jacket and I sort of had that moment of, oh, Devon would really hate this. Um, so they do sort of seep in um, when I'm doing my edits. Uh, and I, if I get tired, I I start to my swearing level goes up a little bit. And um, doing the edits, there were times um, with uh, so I've got two teenage daughters, and they said, "Oh my god, you sound like Pike," because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't normally swear, and then suddenly I feel like I'm channeling on Pike. Um, so yeah, they do. They they sort of bleed through a bit. Certainly, a lot more now um, since writing the two books. Yeah, I think I, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking on this too much, but I think it is an exciting prospect for readers when you love a book to to feel like they have existed in the world. Like maybe you'll turn around the corner and there they are. But we we do need we do need to get to Nancy business because in Nancy business, Riverstone is rocked by an explosion at the town hall. There are deaths and injuries, and it feels like things are darker than the last novel, partly because this has brought back so much for Tippy, And now she finds herself constantly fear, constantly in fear of not only more violence, but of losing more people close to her. And we'll just remind people that in, in the Nancys, we begin um, Tippy's Tippy's father has died. And there is a big part of that story with her and her mother trying to deal with what that loss means in their life. That, that mm. continues. There is more loss were you were you conscious of an encroaching darkness in this book? Yes, because we 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 are going to um, I guess the darkest kind of place um, 
for Tippy and then for her to be able to heal and grow pretty much, um, you know, apologies for the language, but, you know, the scab has to be ripped off and truth and light needs to be um, shone for for there to be any kind of progression. So with her mum, her mum's doing her best. She's been left with a huge amount of debt um, that was left by by Tibby's dad. Um, so the so Nancy business starts one year at her father's uh, the anniversary of his death, and so to kind of keep the family afloat, her mum has had to do um, basically work overtime. So she's so Tibby's been more or less on her own through her mum having to kind of keep the family afloat. So with Tibby, that's a, there's a lot of feelings around abandonment and that she's also almost lost her mum as well. Um, they haven't processed the grief. They started to towards the, you know, mm. after the Nancys. And this book, um, Tibby has started seeing a, a counsellor, which she hadn't before. So there, I wanted to sort of explore that um, you know, mental health aspect and that, you know, sometimes we can't do it on our own and that there are uh, mental health experts there that are, you know, just as vital as your GP or your doctor. Um, so, yeah. And then there's this, like I was mentioning before, there's a, a greater story arc and, you know, I guess the trigger warning for anyone who is going to be reading Nancy Business that it does deal with suicide things um and that all had to be explored and that true so it's that kind of simmering thing where tippy's mum and and uncle pike being um pakiha um are very waspy um and they're trying to unlearn all of that um you know not talking about feelings or not talking about emotions coming from a family background where you know, none of that was ever said and all of that stuff's under the surface. Um, yeah, so it's kind of exploring all of that and to do that, yeah, I had to go to some pretty dark places. So almost like the explosion is uh, like the external um, uh, environment mm. then, which then matches what happens internally, I, I suppose, with their emotional life. It's like a manifesting... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just just to comment that it is so incredible to have a narrative that that is destigmatizing these ideas of discussing mental health, of you know, seeing a counselor, seeking help. I was also really curious that as the, as the Nancys are reforming, should we be doing this? Is an oft repeated refrain from Pike and Devon. Now they're really worried about Tippy's mental health um, as yeah. as this brings up things from the past, but also as she's confronting new ideas. The amateur sleuth, the idea of the amateur sleuth taking on the case, I mean, it offers this tremendous potential for the reader to identify, to become an armchair detective, but it's also yeah. a somewhat incredible prospect. I mean, you know, like we'd, we'd all love to do it, but the idea that yeah. you would be throwing yourself into danger um, I was really curious that we, we don't more often hear this circumspection. It's just like, oh, hey, there are people with guns or, oh, hey, there are people with bombs. Why did you want to add those cautionary notes? Like it, at, at several points, it's like, oh, well, the book could stop when they all go, this is dumb. 
<laughs> yeah, I think um, I think it was important because it was also triggering for Devin. So mm. Devin has, you know, he saw something pretty. Um, so again, no spoilers, but you know, he saw something pretty horrific um, first time around and hadn't really sort of recovered from that. And then he's thrown into another incredibly uh, stressful um, and uh, horrific um, scene, which then, you know, triggers that triggering. So and then, <laughs> then they uh, end up, you know, buying and renovating um, <laughs> the place where that um, that happened for Devin. So <laughs> poor Devin's like just kind of lumped on and on and on. Um, so what I what I wanted to play with with the amateur detectives is also, you know, for Tippy is is I guess the motivation why you know, and I don't think Tippy kind of she towards the end she might sort of be twigging onto it, and I think she does mention it, but it's having that external focus, so then you're not having to either deal with whatever's going on or deal with your feelings or, you know use some of that headspace that you might be ruminating on something else, like, okay, here's here's a mystery. So you can almost uh, obsess over that, which will then uh, mean you don't have to feel what you're feeling. Mm. So I like looking at that. And I also like the fact that, yeah, they they are sort of thinking – you know, we don't have to do this. Like, it's totally their their decision to, to solve a mystery and it's their time. And um, so I like them being able to reflect a little bit and just go, well, yeah, is this something we should actually be doing? Mm-hmm. And then through sort of different reasons, but also I think because they, they – after the Nancys, I think there's that thing of, which we all have, and like you mentioned, like we we love watching, you know, true crime documentaries or listening to true crime podcasts because we do want to try and solve that mystery ourselves or see that clue that no one else did. Or um, so I think there is that sort of adrenaline push, but also, yeah, when they do have a chance to step out, go, well, yeah, should we really be doing this? And with both the Nancys and Nancy business, I sort of. I mean, I, I set it up where no one else, if they don't look, no one else is, um, which then puts a little bit more pressure on them um, because the police think something, the public think, you know, agree with the police. So either they, the Nancys, try and solve it or, uh, you know, there could be um, pretty bad consequences for the town. So. Yeah. Because, of course, there is that possibility that there is nothing to solve the the attack the attack rocks the nancys and their community because it seems to have come from within so not only does it blow up sort of the heart of the town but it kind of blows up the heart of this idea of community and it seems like it's a known quantity one of riverstone citizens seems to be the bomber everyone is scrambling to understand even even pike he reasons that if it's not a whodunit well it's a why done it and I was mm. curious about that exploration of the psychology of why. So often, so often we we see acts of violence and we externalize them. They're committed by an other from outside the community, from outside the community's social values. 
what did it mean for you or what were you hoping to explore with this idea that the threat comes from within? Yeah, I liked the idea that, um, you know, not in our town and the fact that the how do you deal when the perpetrator is supposedly, you know, the nicest man in town and um, and you see that with, with several of the characters trying to reconcile it and finding it quite difficult, um, which is why I liked having Melanie uh, Brown, who's, who's Tippy's neighbour, um, calling out the stuff around that, which we've seen in headlines, obviously, in, in Australia. Where you know, uh, you know, he's the nicest guy, and yet you know he's, he's murdered his family or whatever it is. You know, just trying to reframe that. Um, but also, then I guess play with the fact that well, what if it actually wasn't that person? Um, and yeah, I liked having a closed community because it's you. You know, there's that. Um, I guess, untested or um, unexplored trust that just goes on. Because, because you're part of this community, then, then you're trustworthy. And then once you sort of start to unpick that, seeing what has been uh, – so I'm being careful around spoilers – but then seeing what has been done to prop up um, – that so-called trust in in people, uh, yeah. So I thought it's an interesting. Um, small towns are interesting in that regard because you know they can be quite closed environments, and there's this us versus them mentality. So yeah, I think it's it's much easier to have the the other as, as to blame, mm. but when it is some one of your own, what does that mean? One thing it means, I guess, is there's a whole lot of grief. Grief is really central to Nancy business because Riverstone is reeling from the loss of friends and neighbours because of this shattering of of what they thought was their way of life. Tippy is dealing with the grief of her father's death a year on. She's dealing with the – she doesn't have closure. This is obviously not a COVID novel. The virus hasn't hit the Nancy's world yet, but – there was something about the way they were dealing with grief and the way they were dealing with shattering of ideas that felt like working through some of the feelings that the last 18 months have forced us all to confront. Am I drawing too long a bow here? <laughs> um, no, I, I, so look, when I was writing, when I was writing the Nancy, um, the Christchurch, shooting happened um uh, my father passed away you know there was a lot of things and with and obviously i'm in melbourne so we had the long lockdown so i definitely those at least those feelings and emotions would have made their way into the work um yeah particularly i remember with the the christchurch shooting and just the the absolute horror and devastation um, and I was in Melbourne, but just, you know, there is that morning, um, because it is, you know, a, a, a way of life or, you know, just something that is so against how you 
feel about, you know, your country or your place or who we are as people. Um, and for it to happen to, to the Muslim community was just, you know, it was heartbreak onto the heartbreak. And yeah, uh, so absolutely, I think, um, you know, that, um, particularly when, you know, Tippi and Pike are watching the events on TV after, after the bombing and just, you know, so definitely, um, drawing on that. Uh, and then, you know, through my, my father's passing, um, and yeah, I didn't, I don't know if I'll ever write a COVID novel of, you know, lockdown. I just think part of, part of what I love about the Nancy's and the Nancy's world is that escape and just, you know, almost being able to get a, get away from that. Um, which was, you know, that was part of it. So even through my own grief and, and lockdown, I was able to escape to, Riverstone and, you know, part of my head. So I was incredibly grateful to them to we're, be able to do that. Yeah. I mean, we're perhaps still a little too close to, you know, a, an unfolding pandemic that the world is is in the middle of to to answer this question with any degree of satisfaction. But I I am constantly grappling with what a COVID novel will look like and, and will it need to be a realistic depiction. Um, the way that Nancy Business walks that line between escapism and confronting reality, I mean, it, for me, it, it gave me a space to explore my own feelings and perhaps literature like that will be a part of what we consider COVID novels because of the the, the space they gave us within this period. Has has literature paid, played a role for you in dealing with the changes in the world over, I mean, even, yeah, the last two years? Yeah, um, it's, uh, I think... More so in, yeah, in escaping and in escaping into worlds where, where there is that freedom. So it's almost, for me, it's been more nostalgia, I guess, driven. Um, uh, and certainly stories with, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of drawn a lot more now to stories with, um, and quote marks, uh, messy characters. Like I just find the more, um, so for example, you know, if we're talking crime novels like uh, Sarah Bailey's Gemma Woodstock, where you know it's just this character. You know, they've got flaws, but they're also you know great at what they do. But they're sort of obsessed to the point where they're not really looking after themselves. I don't know. I just find the more, more. I guess more complexity is what I'm interested in. More dark and light, but definitely there has to be light. I can't. I can't do. Um, what's the the opposite of uplit? Um, what do they call it? The I don't know if it's misery lit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I can't. Not not now. I mean, maybe in the future, but I just can't do really dark, dark novels with. Uh, absence of hope. I just need some kind of light. It doesn't have to be happy ending, but it has to be hope um, for me at the moment anyway. It's interesting the, how much I recognise in what you're describing in, in Tippy and in Tippy's story arc. I mean, in Nancy Business, she's, she's very much struggling with uh, the very teenage desire to be older, to be more mature, to have more 
responsibility and to be viewed as adult whilst also being really confronted at all turns. Um, Pike and Devon's relationship constantly, they're a very affectionate couple and constantly she's looking at Jesus like, not a probes, guys. Like, um, yeah, but, yeah. but then the idea that they might have relationship troubles, there's she wants to deal, but she also doesn't want to deal. Like what, do you see this as a bit of a coming of age? And what's it like writing coming of age in the yeah. middle of a mystery? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And yes, so it was, it is, it is the beginning of that coming of age for Tippi. Um, so, um, so I needed to, uh, I guess, um, explore what that's like you know you've got hormones going through you don't know what's really happening but your moods you know you're being quite dictated by your moods um you know at the beginning of puberty um also that where you're not being taken seriously uh, you know as an adult but you want to be but you're still a kid um and how frustrating that can be so yes it was the coming of age and it was also about to be more and more finding her voice and agency and speaking up particularly her relationship with her mother is is changing um to be come from uh you know her dad being being very close to her dad her dad being the the good cop and her mum being the bad cop and now because they're on their own having to renegotiate that and also as a child, you know, you you start, there's that moment when you start to see your parents as adults or as people. And so she's sort of at the very start of that, um, that journey as well. So, yeah, it was interesting um, watching Tippi and, you know, obviously writing it, but watching her start to do that journey. And because we're in two weeks, it's not like, you know, she can suddenly, bam, she's there. Mm. So, you know, there is that sort of two steps forward, one step back, or, um, you know, going back into sort of kid zone, but then suddenly something will happen or she'll react in a way that she hasn't sort of before. Uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly interesting to explore. And, I, I you know, that's um, going to continue. Finding a voice is also and there's there's some extraordinarily complicated moments where connecting back to the Nancys, um, Tippy reveals. Well, she uh, yeah, we can we can. It's not really a big reveal from the Nancys. She she reveals something to Lorraine, um, which then causes extraordinary sort of conflict and, and discomfort in their relationship, but also the reaction from Pike and Devon. Um, they they find very much they need to start to school her in, in queer politics and LGBTQIA relationships. Like the way, the ways she wants to own her own voice is she's kind of going at it a little bit like a bull at a gate. Um, and yeah. there's a lot of that, that going on as Pike and Devon are negotiating their own, like the natural progression of a relationship, thinking about the future is causing them tension. Um, that was a really like that was an extraordinary progression in the novel too, because of course in the Nancys, Pike's returning to a town that he thought just was never going to accept him as a young gay man, and now he yeah. is he is something of a, a community leader in that sense, especially for Tippy. 
Yes, yeah, and I, I thought it was really um, important. So one of the, I guess, one of the underlying themes in, in both is around truth and truth-telling and having the courage to tell the truth. But, so yes, so in Nancy business, it's like, yeah, but sometimes that truth isn't yours to tell. Um, and, yeah, I thought it was really good to explore that and whose stories, uh, whose story is it to tell um, and then for Tippy to have that, I guess, you know, to go through that and learn, you know, as part of her growing up, um, about that and the different reactions. So, yeah, we don't, we haven't really had much of Devin's backstory, but, you know, from the way that he reacts, I think, and also, you know, tend to that and the Nancy's that. You know, obviously it wasn't a great experience for him coming out um, with his family. Um, so, you know, there's still that impact of that. So I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to, to look at that. And and the sort of the larger thing with the Nancys and Nancy business, I mean, for me, they're an analogy to the queer experience where, you know, the Nancys are always doing these cases where the public and the police all believe one thing and they believe the truth about, you know, for them that truth doesn't match that. And so, you know, it's it's playing with that, um, I guess, you know, as a gay man, you know, my, what I believe versus when I was growing up and the culture and family and everyone else, you know, um, believing something completely different. And so I like, with the mysteries that we're, we're kind of doing an analogy with that. And it is so interesting that we, we almost have to remind ourselves that there is a mystery <laughs> because <laughs> there is something we, be, I began with a question about this appeal of Tippy Pike and Devon. And there is, there is something about, I would watch, I would watch that's, that's how visual the Nancy's and Nancy business are. I, in my mind, I am watching a film. I would read Tippy, Pike, and Devon, like going to the seaside. Like I would just they the, their interactions are enough. The fact that there is a mystery that they are going to solve, and the listener has to go out and read because we're not talking about it, is just so much of a joy of Nancy business. Rob, uh, thank you so much. Like I love talking about these characters. Uh, I am speaking with RWR McDonald, and we are discussing Nancy business. It's the sequel to the award-winning The Nancys, and it is a delight. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Rob. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Andrew. That's it for this great conversation with R.W.R. McDonald. Rob's new novel is Nancy Business. It's the sequel to The Nancys. They're both out through Alan and Unwin. This is also the second time I've chatted to Rob. So, if you are interested in finding out a little bit about the Nancys, you can go back into the archives, wherever you get your podcasts, and find my conversation with RWR McDonald a couple of years ago when we talked the Nancys. It's a great accompaniment to your reading. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. You will find Final Draft on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER. If you subscribe in your podcast app, there is a new great conversation every week. There's also bonus stuff that comes out during the week. If you are subscribed, you will never miss a thing. I'm Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. Till then, as always, happy reading.